Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I'm going to begin this morning uh, entitling the message, A Strategy of Making Disciples. We've been talking about the Great Commission and what the Lord told us to do. He didn't tell us to come and sit. He told us to go to the uttermost part of the world. And our church is committed to doing that collectively. I hope you're committed to doing that individually. Every decision we make around here, we keep in mind our focus that we're to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And today, I want you to hear as I open up the Bible study and the message, I want you to hear one of the most beautiful, comforting scriptures to those that choose to walk with the Lord. Would you stand and let me read to you three verses out of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 two, and three. I will read from the King James translation. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now... Are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be? But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man, listen to this, that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, the Lord Jesus, is pure. May God bless this reading of the word. What a beautiful note. Wouldn't you like to just open up a personal letter and that be dear whatever and you put your name there and those words would be spoken from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That those words would be spoken through the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciple Beloved John writes it for us. A common question we ask each other almost on a daily basis is, have you heard the news today? Have you heard the news today? If I were to say, how many of you have heard the news today? There's breaking news all over the world this morning. Have you heard the news? But let me uh, tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. Have you heard the good news today? Well, some of you haven't. All the news you heard this morning is, is bad news. But I want to give you some good news. I want you to listen very carefully today. And I want you to get a hold of some things that, and put them in perspective to all the other news that you hear. And let me say to you, the best news that you will ever hear in your life is that God forgives sin and he reconciles the fallen sinner unto himself and adopts him into his family and that he will be an eternal heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's good news, folks. That's real good news. You see, we are like the prodigal son, many of us. We've run from the father. We've run from the good stuff and we bought into the things of this world and the Lord gives us an opportunity 
to get our inheritance back through Jesus Christ. The Father invites us back. My prodigals come back. Adam and Eve, they wandered and they sinned and big problems happen. And those sins are passed on from generation after generation. But the Lord God says, you want to come back? Have you come to yourself yet? Have you realized how confused and mixed up the people are that are around you? And have you adapted to their way of living? Or have you chosen to follow me? Which means taking up the cross. You know, the world says, come take a chance. That's what the lottery's about. That's what Las Vegas is about. Come take a chance. Come take a chance. You know, it's sure exciting when you can get involved in something that's far better than what you're taking a chance on. And you can get involved in it, and it's a sure thing. Everybody that comes to the cross is a winner. Every person that comes to the cross is a winner. And the IRS doesn't get any part of it. Amen? It belongs to the children of God. And when we get a hold of where we're going in this generation to reach out and touch our world for Christ, today we ought to get excited when we really hear the good news. Now let me warn you something. Some people think that the good news is that material blessings and physical healing is the good news. Where the good news is total forgiveness and eternal salvation. That's the good news. I will submit to you that your material blessings at best are temporary. I will also submit to you that your physical healing is temporary. It is appointed unto all of us once to die. Doesn't matter who's praying. We're going to die. But the better news is to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. The good news is it keeps getting sweeter as the days go by. The good news is you are able to continue enjoying the things of God for all of eternity. The key is getting to the point where you understand there's there's a little bit of heaven on the way to heaven. The good news is that Jesus will forgive your sins forever. And that is far better than doing anything for you temporarily. Now, when the Lord came and started preaching that, you remember John the Baptist came and he just, he had one sermon. If you went to an eight-day revival, John the Baptist, he'd say, tomorrow night I'm going to preach on repentance. And then that night he'd say, now y'all all come back tomorrow night because I'm going to preach on repentance. Because you see, he was the forerunner of Jesus. Now, because he was the forerunner of Jesus, he preached the only message you need to understand. All the other stuff doesn't make a bit of sense to you, nor is it even relevant to you until you repent. See? The Lord says, I am willing to take you into my family, but except you repent, you're going to perish. If you don't turn from the way that everybody is going and come to me, 
you're not going to ever see me, I will say I never knew you when you step in the gates of heaven. So it's very interesting when Jesus came along, and this is one of the most exciting things to read in the Bible is, and you can just go anywhere you want to in the Gospels. I'm just going to go for time's sake just to the book of Matthew. But one, there's a key thing all the way through, just chapter after chapter after chapter. See if you can pick up on it. Matthew 4, 22, they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed Jesus. Matthew 8, 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. One was a leopard, one was a centurion, a soldier. Go to the 23rd verse of Matthew chapter 8. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and he quiets the storm. Go to the next chapter, Matthew 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. He said unto him, follow me, and he, Matthew, arose and followed him. If you'll read in Matthew 12, chapter 14, chapter 19, chapter 26, chapter 20, and chapter 27, and chapter 55, you know what the words are? Followed him, they 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 followed him. Well, Jesus was walking a different way than the world walked. So if they, followed, if they started following Jesus, they had to repent. They had to do an about face. And now they start following him. Now when they start to follow him, he begins to lay out the course. There was a man in Matthew 9, uh, in the second verse, that was brought to Jesus, and he had physical impairment. He was brought to Jesus by faithful, loving, caring people in order that his physical need could be met. I have no reason to believe that his friends did not mean well. But they had a problem. Their priorities were wrong. And because their priorities were wrong, Jesus said, before he ever dealt with the physical healing, he dealt with the spiritual condition of this paralyzed man that he needed to be born again. The sin issue's got to be dealt with first. You see, when you have given your sin to God and experience regeneration, then and only then can you turn your physical body, your material possessions, your intellectual abilities over to God and trust him totally to take care of your future. If you're following him. You see, Jesus talks about the new birth. And Jesus died for you and me in order that he could live in you and me. He said, I can't live in that. Have you noticed how you ladies, if you've ever bought a house somebody else lived in, I don't care how elegant or where there's an eight-foot trailer, the first thing you did was say, Honey, I've been watching this TV show decorating on a dime. And I just kind of like it, but I just want to change the inside. <laughs> I just don't think I can live there. You know what Jesus says to us? You may come live in you, there's going to be a house cleaning. You're going to have to be washed in the blood. They don't sell it on the internet. They don't sell it at the grocery store. 
But you're going to have to be cleaned. Because you see, your body is going to become my temple. And I don't want it smoke-filled. I don't want it drunken. I, want, I don't want it maimed up and scarred and marred. I just want you to open up your life and let me come in. Forgiveness, I want to say it one more time in a little different way. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift to you and to me because it's our greatest need. Does that make sense to you? See, except you repent, you're going to perish. Except God forgives you, you will live and die in your sin. You say, well, the preacher forgave me, the priest forgave me, the rabbi forgave me, my parents have forgiven me, my wife forgave me, my husband forgave me, my best friend forgave me. Wonderful. But has God forgiven you? Did you just ask people for your forgiveness or did you ask God for your forgiveness? See, that's the issue. We often have a problem with our mouth. We, 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 first of all, we have a problem confessing our sin. We just like to say, dear God, forgive me all my sins. And the Lord says, name a few. <laughs> and we start, well you, well, you know what they are. Yeah, he knows. Do you know? Do you know what sin is? Elijah, I mean, excuse me, Ezekiel, spoke of uh, something interesting in the third chapter, verse 26. Uh, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 26. And I will make your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth, that you shall be dumb and shall not be to them a reprover, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that hears, let him hear. And he that forbears, let him forbear. All of us need to be very careful now as I move on in the strategy of discipleship. First of all, you can't be a disciple unless you get saved. I hope I've made that clear. You got to repent and be born again. Now, now then, you're not to come live on the dude ranch, not here, not up there. You are saved. And told, now then, I want you to take the good news that you received and I want you to take it to the uttermost parts of the world. And somewhere between Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, I can't just point to it and tell you, now go to this verse and this is where it happened. But between Matthew 4 and, verse, and Matthew 28 chapters, somewhere along in there, Jesus led his disciples to become disciple makers to reproduce themselves, to pass on to others what they had received. And I want you to pick up that with me for just a moment because with this happening, the doors are open wide to tremendous opportunities in the future. When Sagemont Church, just this one church, when it leaves the campus and it goes to the uttermost part of the world, many will go to schools, students, teachers, administrators, school board. Many will go to the Space Center, engineers, astronauts, administrative assistants, small business owners, managers of large businesses, the policemen or members of this church, firemen, legislators, congressmen, Judges, lawyers, retirees, contractors, 
mechanics, plant workers. Now think about this. We're going to all these places tomorrow. Restaurant owners, courthouse employees, salesmen, professors, truck drivers, ranchers, oil field workers, secretaries, stockbrokers, financial planners, members of corporate boards, rodeo committees. Hundreds of you are going to be on committees at the rodeo for the next three weeks. Do you realize the opportunity that affords just this body of believers to be living proof of loving God to a watching world and go make disciples? I mean, you can be a chiropractor, a veterinarian, a heart surgeon, an OB-GYN, or anything else, nurse, ones that, that check in when you get there or drive the ambulance to get you over there. What an opportunity to witness for Christ and make disciples. See, our idea of making disciples is having a little class and we're going to come teach you how to be a disciple. You know what Jesus said? Get out there and be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Get out there in your world where you live. You know how the guys think. You know what the ladies think. You know how your generation thinks. You know what is influencing them. And if you are born again and you've opened your life up to the word of God, then the word of God comes alive and you can share it with people in a way that they can understand what you're trying to share with them. Let me tell you what the danger is. You know, we're so full of pride, it doesn't take very long till we just start slipping back. We like to point our finger at Simon Peter and think he was the only backslider there ever was. We can go home and look in the mirror. Let me tell you most of our problems. Maybe it's not your problem, but I've had this problem at times. Maybe you've had it along the way. I'm afraid a lot of us are so zealous in our discipleships, we want to make people disciples of us instead of of him. You see, we, we, de- we design, this is a disciple right here. You see what I am? This is what I do. I just have a passion to do this. Now, if you're not doing this, shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know why you didn't come and do that, because if you love Jesus, you'd come. I came. But did you do such and such? What did I, oh, no. Oh, you did that? Yeah. Oh, oh, no, I didn't do that. Oh, well, shame on you. See where we're going with this? You remember in John 21, Peter, again, we always pick on Peter. God bless him, but we have to pick on him. In John 21, verse 20, the book's almost closed. Peter's about to sum it all up. He's going to get his assignment because when Jesus leaves, he's going to take over in in his own mind. Here's what he says. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciples whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord... Which is he that betrays thee? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus said, If I will that he tarries till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Could I put that in some southern vernacular? He said, Peter, it is none of your business what he does. He isn't following you. He's following me. Now you go, you're having a hard enough time, Peter, doing what I tell you to do. So don't try to take on other people's problems. See, that's where we are so many times. So just think about it. Peter in his zealousness had to just, he just wanted to take over. See, your biggest strengths can be your greatest weaknesses. You know, I'm a leader. So whatever I want to do, I expect everybody else to do it. That's not God's way. Jesus loved Peter. 
And he loved him in spite of his passion to take over. But when he got the opportunity, he said, Peter, let me tell you something. You just don't worry about when the people are praying. You don't worry about what they're doing. You just do what I tell you to do, and I've got a way of taking care of them. Because you're going to have to sleep tonight, and I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to be watching them while you're asleep. I mean, that's exactly what he's saying to him. You remember Peter cutting off the ear of that guy when the arrest comes, the centurion? You know, he comes in there with his sword. I'm like, I take over, Lord. I'm telling you about to fall here, Father. So here's a fisherman becoming a swordsman. And he tried to cut his head off and missed and just got his ear. And I'm sure he said, well, at least, Lord, you know all them other guys just standing around. And the Lord said, yeah, and I got something for you to do. Oh, good, good, promote me. He said, pick up the ear and hand it back to me. And he put it back on the guy, right? Those of you who know the Bible, those that don't know, am I telling the truth? That's exactly what he did, right? Amen. And Peter said, uh-oh, messed up again, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. We got to be extremely careful, folks, about how we define discipling others. People run around the church and say, we're not making disciples. We're not making disciples. We're not making disciples. Excuse me. Would you spend one 24 hours with me? Would, would you get out of your world and let me show you the impact that churches have when they get out to where people are and touch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm going to ask you a question. <clears throat> Do you ever have problems with people? Now, if, this is for parents only, okay? For those of you that are single or don't have kids, just enjoy the blessing and be quiet for a minute. <laughs> For those of us that have kids, do you like for people to come and tell your kids to do things that are diabolically opposed to your training in your child's life? Does that bother you? Yes, it does. Don't look spiritual. It bothers you. You do not like other people telling your children how they're to live. That's your responsibility as parents, to train up that child in the way it should go. Not theirs, it's yours. They're to help you. You're not to help them. What do you think Jesus is like? If I start telling you something from this pulpit that Jesus has not told you to do in the scripture, you need to call and come talk to me. This goes across the board, folks. Jesus says, if you'll be my disciples, you and I, I will get to you the first email every morning. I will text you in the morning. I Go to my Twitter site first, would you? You know, that kind of an attitude. Rather than, well, he's just such a wonderful person and she's such a wonderful person and they're just my dearest friends. That's wonderful. Keep them at that. But don't be their disciple. Be the Lord's disciple. That's what he's telling us to do. Nobody likes for somebody else to tell them, their children, what they should do if it's against the parent's will. Most of us, if not all of us, have a judgmental nature. It is so easy to judge others. Criticism can flow from our lips, and, and we can even feel good after we get it out. You know, if we can just kind of whack them down a little bit, you know, say, like, boy, I'm sure you liked that, didn't you? The Lord's saying, oh, me. You know, I'll give them a week, and I'll come back to them later with my spirit because you've ruined it for a week. You know, you set the whole process back. 
Brother Chuck was telling me a story the other day. After he got saved out of fraternity life, he went back, boy, and he was just hellfire and damnation to all of his fraternity brothers. He said it's taken some of them 30 years to get saved. <laughs> See, the Lord has a compassion about him. He has a brokenness about him. He understands that when things happen, like the woman caught in the very act of adultery, that is in John chapter 8. You remember how they were just, come on, Lord, come on, come on. Very act, we caught her. He writes something in the sand. And they turn and they walk away. Oh, I've got my ideas what he wrote, but I'm not going to get into that. But I'll tell you one thing. When he turned to the lady, he loved her. He loved her with a passion that those Pharisees did not have. All they had heard was how sorry they were, or all she had heard was how sorry she was. And here was a God that says, hey, I don't want you doing that, but I love you. And I can clean that mess up in your life if you'll just come to me. Amen. You know, God speaks to a lot of us in different ways. If, you tried, if I was lost and my wife was lost and you tried to deal with us, you'd have to deal with me and her differently. We have two different personalities. You know, you know one of us might want to get it up like this, another might try, cry at the drop of a hat. God says, look, you be my disciple, and I'll tell you how to reach them. The first message is to tell others about the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus. That's discipling first before you tell them how to interpret revelations. They first got to know what it means to be saved and forgiven and what the Holy Spirit can do in their life. So to Elijah, God spoke with a still, small voice. Other time, it was an earthquake, a tempestuous storm, lightning flashing across the sky. But sometimes it's a still, small voice. Jesus told the disciples that he had to go and make more disciples. And they were to go and to make more disciples. I want to say to you one more time, discipling is not bringing people only to come and hear your study on discipleship. Discipling is bringing people to the Lord. And salvation first. I got a call from Mike Barber this week. Remember Mike Barber played for the Houston Oilers prison ministry? He's calling me from one of the penitentiaries. I'm on my cell phone. He said, Pastor Morgan, this is Mike Barber. He said, I'm calling you from the, from the, uh, the landline at the prison. He said, I just got one word for you. He said, I want to ask you, can I come to talk to you next week? I want you to send me a hundred more men like these men that are sitting here with me right now from your church that are ministering to the people in prison. You like to get those kind of calls when you're a pastor. Send me a hundred more. The, the, the prison doors are open to this man. And he says, are there a hundred more men that will come like these men? What was he mean by them? Do it exactly like they would? No, but with the passion they had and with the zeal they had that those people behind prison bars can be free. Will they ever get behind the bar, out from behind the bars or not? They can be free right where they are. And one of the greatest mission fields today is in places of incarceration. Thank God for the wonderful Christians that are there. And I want to commend those that listen to me every Sunday on, on the uh, Sound of Freedom broadcast. 
because they know exactly who I'm talking about. Those guys win hundreds of people to Christ in those penitentiaries. That's what it's all about, folks. Go where they are. Go where they are. Whether it's to, to your work, to your school, to your hunting and fishing spot, to the Little League baseball game, to the rodeo, the restaurants, the grocery stores, the prisons, the family reunion. Go get them. Everywhere. Funny thing, I, I grew up in churches, little churches go around, people are always giving you a list of the prospects. They give you the name of somebody you never heard of and probably could not pronounce it. And you had to drive by 10,000 people that needed the Lord, and one of them was your next door neighbor on the left and the right, and the one that lived behind you and across the street. But if you could take this prospect, you could go spend 20 minutes with them, report back to the committee. I made contact with them, and I invited them to come to church on Sunday. Now, I'm not going to talk to the people next door because they know how I am. And it, it won't add to what I'm trying to do. You know what I'm talking about. So why is it so hard for some of us to give our time and our talents and our substance to the Lord? We are disciples, not spectators. Why call me Lord and do not? Just add on to that. He said, do not what I've commanded you. You put the do not. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do nothing? That's what he's saying. Many Christians, many Christians do not believe that this Bible is the Word of God. But it is. Many people on the, on the page, front page of one of the magazines that's in the restaurants right now, Houston Magazines, is this 19-year-old Rice student, 19 years old, and he is now the premier authority that God did not create the heavens and the earth. Well, it goes to Rice. It's got to be right, right? This Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? You know, there, there are... 10 millions, there's tens of millions of people that do not believe that Jesus is the, divine, the, is the divine Son of God. This Bible says he is. Over one half, according to George Barna, over one half of Christians do not believe that the Holy Spirit and Satan are real. This Bible says they are. Over one half. Do not believe the Bible is completely true. Could I read to you 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instructions in righteousness. Half, Christian, half of the Christians do not believe the Bible, the word of God. And the Lord says, okay, you start with believing I'm who I said I am. The Bible's who I said it was. You go in the power of the Holy Spirit and teach the word. And bring people to me. And I will accept them. It is impossible. It is impossible to follow Jesus. And to make disciples. If you disrespect, ignore, discredit, or disbelieve the word of God. Please hear me. If you're in any of those circles that says, we believe that spots of the Bible are inspired and we're inspired to spot the spots. You are totally ineffective in carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus said all things, teach all the things that I've commanded. Where did he command them? When he was here. Who recorded them? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And others came back to quote them. And many times it was the Old Testament that they were quoting. That's what we have to understand. Believing in Jesus and becoming a disciple of Jesus is far more than mere intellectual belief. But it is certainly not anything less than that. You must believe God when he speaks before you're infected. Jesus never set his followers down and said, you do this and you do that. He said, you follow me. The Lord doesn't give us very much uh, advance notice on, on things because we, we can't remember them anyway if we were going to do them. And the older you get, the more that will be relevant to you. But I tell you what he did do. He used every miracle, every sermon, every personal appearance, every city he ever went to. He used every conversation, every contact, whether it was at the wedding, when the wine issue came up, when he was at the well, when the Samaritan woman was there, when he was preparing for his, for his crucifixion with his executioners, or when he was hanging on the cross, and we go on and on. He took every single situation he found himself in, and he used it to disciple the world and tell them about the coming king. That's what he did. Yes. Now listen to me, folks. Don't ask God to call you into the ministry. He's already called you into the ministry. Okay? What you want to do is this. Say, Lord, here am I. Send me. You think of the people you're going to see tomorrow that Christian leaders will never see. Just think about it. Just think about it. And use every situation, every conversation to help them to understand that God has a plan for their life. From the schoolrooms to the athletic fields to the third ward to the Johnson Space Center. And all those things I've mentioned earlier, God has one by one picked up. Something somebody did or something somebody said in that environment and has brought people to himself. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he wants me to do. Our goal is to simply make disciples of Jesus Christ. And you can't do that unless you first become a disciple of his. He wants you to be his disciple. He didn't, he, he didn't come to save you so he could take you to heaven. Otherwise, you'd already be gone. If you are saved, you'd already be in out of town. You'd be gone. But you live in a world. I'm looking at hundreds of you men. You will hear God's name damned tomorrow dozens of times before 4.30. Now, you can sit there or you can just in Christian love like one of my brothers did at Glenbrook Golf Course a few years ago, when a guy damned God for five holes because of the way that he was hitting his ball. And he said, all right, you've damned God for five holes. And on the four coming in to the front nine, let me tell you what I know about God. Two holes, he left. But the point was made. Listen to me, folks. God wants to use you. You understand that? 
You may call Job, Job, you may call Job Job and Psalms Palms. And you may think the concordance is a book in the Bible. But if you'll be living proof of a loving God to a watching world, wherever you go today, you'll have an opportunity to make a disciple. Anywhere. You say, well, I'm going home. I'm going to bed. You'll probably get a call from one of those credit companies to tell you that they got good news for you, that your interest rate is being lowered. Don't hang up the phone. Just say, well, I don't really want to change my credit card, but I sure would like to talk to, about, to you about my, the master of my life and my MasterCard, and that's the Lord Jesus. The call will be brief probably, but the point is, <laughs> don't be ugly, but be ready. Be ready. We're fishers of men. We're fishers of men, aren't we? Paul, that's a professional fisherman right there. Fishers of men, he'll tell you, fish are all different. Some of them, you bang the bait, boy, you make all kinds of noise. And the other, you just kind of sneak it up to them, you know? Why? Because fish are different. People are different. You got to use a different tactic. God's chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. Some of you are wise, and you're mad as a hornet right now, but that's all right. I hope somebody will love you before the day's over because God loves you, and he does have special for you. You're the winner. He'll announce your name. You won. You received my gift. You're my kid. You're in the will. Enter now the joys of the Lord. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.